I'm Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True, True Crime New, New England. England. What is up, everybody? Hello, welcome back. We're excited to have you here. Katie, as always, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm doing. Good, good. I would say the same for me. Good. Yep. And you know what I was thinking? Uh, with our first episode back, um, episode 26, The Isle of Shoals Murders, we talked about our resolutions. Yes. How's yours going? <laughs> now that it's February, uh-oh. <laughs> no, mine are going okay. Yeah? Mine are going good. Um, Sustainable and yes. good. Um, and I'm not going to expose where I live per se, but if anybody is listening on the Seacoast, New Hampshire area, mm. and you would like to compost, you'd like to start oh. composting, I use, and I've been using them for a while, mm -hmm. but... I just updated my subscription with them, so I just remembered because yeah. my resolution was to be more sustainable. Right. So I've been composting with this lovely company called Mr. Fox Aww. Composting. Nice. They do Southern Maine, most of Seacoast, New Hampshire area. So if you guys want to compost, I highly recommend getting a subscription with them. They're so fun. Are they affordable? I think it's very affordable. Great. Um, I pay $32 a month currently, okay. but you can also do the bi-weekly pickup. So mm -hmm. it's $16 a month, and they come every other Tuesday. Oh, okay. You leave your compost bin. They supply you with the liners to go inside. Oh. So your first drop-off with them is where they give you the bin itself. And then every week following up, mm -hmm. they give you a new liner. So you don't even really have to buy oh, the liners. That's nice. It's so nice. And then you compost... There's a sticker on the lid that says what you can and can't compost to keep Convenient. you on track. Yeah. It has really cut down on my food waste. And then in the spring, they drop off a big bag of your finished compost that you can oh, use for gardening and plants. That's cool. My plants have flourished since oh. I used it on them last spring. Yeah. It's just so cute. That's so, yeah, awesome. Mr. Fox composting. And then you put the bin out to the curb like you would with trash. Right. And they pick it up and then you bring it inside and start all over. Oh, I love that. It's so cute. So, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't know that they gave you back your compost. Mm -hmm. That's so cute. You can opt in and it's free, oh. or you can not if you don't want to. Right. Huh. It's really cute. So you've been keeping up with it yeah. and you're sustainable, eating more colors? Yes, eating more vegetables. Great. Um, kind of playing around with different recipes. Okay, okay. Yeah, so it's been good. That's awesome. How about you? Well, my only real resolution was to stop swearing so much on this podcast. I think we've done pretty okay. I think we've done pretty okay, too. I think we've done pretty okay, too. I won't lie. I still swear, and it's going to happen. There's nothing I can do to prevent that because I just it just comes out. But I think we're doing better. I think I'm doing better. You weren't a concern. It was me. <laughs> um, and mainly with fuck. But it's so... Sometimes it's so necessary. And that's great. And I'm going to keep saying it when it's necessary. Okay. But it doesn't need to be in front of every word and every sentence, you know? That's fair. So I'm working on it. I think it's going okay. Yeah. I um, think maybe a little. Segwaying off of that, yeah. my friend and coworker Janice, hi Janice. Hi. She presented to me an idea to help us with that resolution of swearing less. I'm listening. She was like, you guys should do a swear jar, <gasps> per se. A swear jar? Where every time you say the F word. Yes. Or any variation of it? I think any variation Kay. of it would work. Because I say fuck, I say fucking, I say fucker, I say motherfucker. Oh, sorry. You didn't need examples? It's like, that's $4. Right yeah. <laughs> it's like cash money right there. 
But every time we say the F word, mm -hmm. so Liz, if you say it, you would put however much money you want to into our swear jar, and okay. I would do the same. Okay. And then at the end of a certain time period, maybe every month or so, yeah. like two months, we take the money that we've gathered in our swear jar and we donate it to a cause that we feel strongly about. I think that's a great idea. I love that idea. So I think we'll start doing that. And honestly, if you guys too want to either keep track of our efforts, <laughs> do a swear jar on your own and donate with us. That'd be cool. Or donate to the companies we mentioned. We'll talk about it too once we get some money in our virtual swear jar. Yes. And donate. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of organizations that could really benefit from some additional cash money. Yes, absolutely. And I think it'll help us swear just slightly less. Again, I think sometimes it's necessary. I think it's so necessary too. And I'm okay with paying for those ones. I'm okay, okay with paying for all of it. I'm the same. But, and I think overall it just goes to a better cause, so I'm okay with it. Yeah. And you know, I don't want to scare away my grandmother because she, <laughs> like I talked a loyal before. loyal listener. Yeah, she is a loyal listener and I do swear a lot. And she said one time, she was like, I'm just glad your grandfather doesn't listen to this. Because he would have been, he would be like... He would give me a look, yeah. you know, and he probably would, instead of calling me, like they call me Lizzie or Lizzie Loodles, instead of calling me that, he probably would just go, Elizabeth, <laughs> you know? And that's when you know. You and that's when up. you know. Yeah. Right I'm there. Already one. I'm already at one. Oh my God, guys, you have to help us keep track. <laughs> How much money do we want to do for every effort variation? I feel like it'd only be fair if we did a dollar. I agree. Because I feel like doing 75 cents would be like confusing. True. And not enough. True. You know, if this is going to charity, let's do a dollar. Yeah, and we could do, like, true crime-related charities. I mean, I know Absolutely. we both know of some really good ones. Absolutely. I think that's a great idea. Let's definitely do that. So you guys help us hold accountable because, God, we need it. Yeah. Not we. I. Liz. <laughs> Liz needs it. You do just fine. That'd be so funny, Liz, if at the end of the month it was like $25 and you were 24 of those. Mm -hmm. $25. I think already it's kind of happening that way because <laughs> you had one and I already said four. <laughs> so I'll try my best. We'll keep track. I'll count it in um, yeah, when we'll I edit. you guys yes. periodically too. We'll keep you guys in the loop. Yes. And if you guys happen to get different numbers than us, let us know. It's starting this episode. So... Um, it's, you guys got to help us out here. We need your help. I, I need your help. It's bad, but I think we're getting better. So fuck yeah, we are. Ha oh <laughs> shit. Oh shit, girl. That's $6 already. Damn. <laughs> you got to figure out who's getting this cash money. I know. We got to switch it up every once in a while. I agree. Nice. And it feels like maybe we should do it over a long period of time to some more money goes to... You know, like 10 episodes or something like that. Oh, so true. You know, we'll figure it out. We'll make sure someone gets some good money. And like they say, every penny counts. So have a whole fucking dollar, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, now I'm going to be conscious of it. Because while I do love charity, I don't, I'm not rich. We're not made of money no. over here <laughs> at True Crime New England. I have expensive habits like animals and animal keeping. And also, I love food. I eat out a lot. So, you know, we'll keep, we'll keep an eye on it. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, with that, today we're going to have a case that, just like last week, is also unsolved. 
We didn't do that on purpose, but it happens. And it's very depressing, so we thought yeah. we'd do a nice, fun intro before we got into some heavy stuff. Yeah, and I feel like that's usually how we do it, because yeah. a lot of the things we talk about are pretty sad. So today is no exception, but it's very interesting, and we'll have some context for you at the end if you know anything at all. And without further ado, today we will be covering the, the murders, murders of Roland and Maram Hannell. Okay, so let's get into it. And of course, we're going to start with our sources. Katie, tell me what you got. I have Unsolved Vermont, the Caledonian Record. Reddit was a very interesting resource yes. for this. They usually come through. Yeah. The Vermont State Police website, Web Sleuths, and then newspapers.com. I had a couple different ones from them. Me too. All of those. I have nothing to add. That's Fuck all. Yeah. That's all what I had too. Oh! There's another dollar. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's get started on this lovely couple. The Hannels. The Hannels, we're not sure, but we're going to go with our white asses and say Hannel. <laughs> our uncultured. Yes, our uncultured New England. New England pronunciation. Yeah. Of... yeah. So Sorry if you're German and we're not pronouncing I know. Right. I feel bad, but we're trying our best. Roland Hannel was born on March 7th, 1935 in Germany, and around 1969, Roland had been spending time in Montreal, Quebec, and Jay, Vermont, which is where this story takes place. He was 49 at the time of this incident. Maram Hannel, or Hannel, her maiden name was Haridi. She was born in Egypt on August 15th of 1952. Maram had become a Canadian citizen living in Quebec before moving to Vermont, and she was 32 at the time of this incident. Before Roland had married Maram, he was married to another woman and they had a daughter together. Her name was Karen. So in 1981, Roland sold out of a plastics company in Montreal, and that was around the time that he and Maram got married. So this led to them ultimately moving to Jay, Vermont and spending more of their time there than in Canada. So a little bit about each of them. We don't have a lot, but Maram was super smart. She spoke roughly five languages, which is insane. That's amazing. Genius lady there, um, which obviously included English, Arabic, French, and possibly German. Um, in 1972, she even worked at the Munich Olympics. So that was cool. And she was most likely hired there because of her multilingual talents, which is neat. The couple together was super athletic. They loved a very healthy lifestyle. Um, they loved to ski. They loved to jog and bike and hike. They were just very athletic. Mm -hmm. And Roland was actually something of like a carpenter kind of guy. He had actually built the chalet that they lived in at the time of this incident. Which is pretty cool. He even actually built um, a trout pond between their old house and the chalet that they lived in now. How cute is that? I know. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. What a good guy. I know. I think that's awesome. And neighbors even said that Roland would rather take his bike or run to a store than take a car. Which I think is like, God, I could never. But that just speaks to the fact that they're very health conscious. Yes. They love to be outdoors, and they're just a fun, 
really well-liked couple. Mm. I would say that they're off to a good start in my eyes. Truly. They're healthy. They're in love. Mm -hmm. They're Canadian citizens. Nothing's better than a good old Canadian. Right? (laughs) Am I right? But this is true crime New England, so So. we rain on your parade pretty quickly. Clearly this isn't just going to be a story about how we like them. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. On Thursday, September 20th, 1984, the bodies of 49-year-old Roland and 32-year-old Maram Hannah were found in their chalet in Jay, Vermont. Roland was found in the living room. He was lying on his stomach, and Maram was found lying on her back in the kitchen area, and both had suffered from multiple gunshot wounds, about 8 to 11 per person, That's which is crazy. That's so unnecessary. Talk about overkill. Per person. Yeah. 8 to 11. Yeah. Both were shot in the head. Roland had wounds to his head, arms, legs, back, and stomach. And Maram had wounds to her chest, stomach, and both arms. Mm. And their bodies were found by a friend at about 4.30 p.m. that day. And it was initially believed that they had been murdered several days prior to being found. Hmm. And we'll talk about why that was disputed. Yeah. But, yeah, being seen by your... Being found dead by your friends. Oh, that's awful. The poor friend. And the craziest part was that neighbors were interviewed and they're like, hello, you heard gunshots. Wasn't, didn't this raise alarm? Yeah. And they're like, no, it's hunting season. Right. This area is very popular for hunting. For bear hunting, I think they said. And had just gone into bear season. Yeah. So So. they they were like nothing out of the ordinary. Mm -hmm. And I guess they were separated enough in their homes that it wasn't like they were on top of each other in terms of their uh, properties. Mm-hmm. So having a kind of distant gunshot probably wasn't, you know. But I would think they'd be suspicious. Um, they would hear upwards of, what, like 22 gunshots in quick succession? This is You true. don't kill a bear with 22 gunshots, you know. Not bear hunting. Maybe if you're protecting yourself, but if you're bear hunting... You give them a two or three, I don't know, I've never hunted even a deer, so I don't know. (laughs) But I'm imagining it's not bam, 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 you know. In fact, I bet you that's probably, nope, I'm not even going to say it's illegal. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not going to pretend like I know the rules and regulations of. But I feel like that adds up. Right, right. Especially if you're killing something to eat it. Right. I don't know if people are killing bears to eat them or make rugs out of them or hang them up on the wall they do. But if you shoot something to eat it, you don't want to shoot it 22 times. And litter it with gunpowder and bullets and shrapnel. Puncture the organs and then the meat is toxic. Uh, and yeah, yeah, fuck don't even, that. Yeah. No, that's weird. So, oh, no. There goes another, another dollar. Oh, fuck. Sorry, everyone. I'm not going to point Damn out. Damn it, I just said it. Oh, great. <laughs> I've already lost count. I'm not going to point out every time, but okay. it's just in my head now because it's new. But anyway... Um, so the autopsy showed no signs of powder burns on the body, which indicated that the couple was shot from at least a little distance. Um, and the only thing that they really could do was rule out um, a shotgun because of the kind of wound that it left. And I think I think a shotgun would be commonly used in hunting. So that's maybe why it's also weird. Like, okay, clearly these weren't shotgun shots that these people heard. Mm-hmm. And I know guns have different sounds I, th- I think i guess i don't know yeah. no they have different sounds and then also with a shotgun i don't know if you would be able to reload quickly a million t- right quickly and a million times 
enough to have up to 22 gunshot wounds for this couple. Yeah. You'd have to constantly be reloading, I think. Right. Again, we don't know guns. (laughs) You know what we should ask? The law enforcement (laughs) officers that use them all the time. No, maybe. Silly Liz. No, (laughs) tee So, anywho, according to the medical examiner, and this is crazy, I know it's 1984, but they know enough to be able to, like, tell, usually. But he couldn't figure out when the couple was killed. He had, like, a general timeline, maybe, but not an exact time. And this made the whole timeline of their murder and when they were last seen super hazy. Super hazy. It was very confusing. For sure. And so there's a lot of different perspectives coming into play, too. So the last confirmed sighting of the Hanwells was about one week before the murder. It was September 13th at about 7.30 p.m. The couple was inside of their home. But then a gas station attendant had come forward and said that she thought she saw them purchasing diesel fuel on Wednesday the 19th, mm-hmm. just the day before. Yeah. But then police didn't believe that the sighting was accurate because of the condition of the bodies, because they looked as though they'd been sitting there for at least a few days. Right. So the medical examiner ended up saying exactly that. Mm-hmm. He said they had been dead for at least 24 hours or more, and this uh, witness who was at the gas station said that they had seen them that the night before he said he saw them at like uh like sunset you know so he saw the couple at the gas station at sunset Mm -hmm. and it was a gas attendant and then a customer backed that story up right so that was two people saying yeah we saw them we saw them here but if the medical examiner is correct then there's a little bit of a discrepancy here in okay when did they actually die it's it's messy it's unclear it's very confusing and it's very frustrating because i feel like a time of death would really help with the investigation yeah hello yeah like it's just crazy right you'd think right and the medical examiner said and i quote it seems improbable but what can i say i've talked with the attendant a couple of times now and she swears she saw them oh well in that case And a close friend of the couple, Dr. Paul Bosco, he said that Maram had missed a dental appointment in the week before the couple was killed and that he hadn't seen either of them in two weeks. And they were close friends, so that was unlike them. So it's like, okay, it's, it sounds like they probably were missing for like a week. Because that that was the last confirmed sighting, right? That you said. So who knows? Who knows? It's just so crazy. Right. And like I said at the top of the show, this is still unsolved. Mm-hmm. So we still don't know anything. Not even the timeline still. Because, you know, once they kind of are like, okay, this is impossible, they throw it away. So in the beginning, police really struggled to find any kind of motive for the killings. Yeah. Because this couple was so well-liked, so well-known. Everybody loved them. Mm-hmm. They're skiing down their little mountain <laughs> and saying hi to everybody. Yep. And they were also described as warm and friendly and really likable. Yeah. And it also seemed like they kept to themselves. They didn't really bother anybody. They had no reason to. Yeah, they were really, like, private. and But they, but then at the same time, they weren't, like, secretive. They were just a couple living on their own, doing their own thing. Right, and they're friendly enough. And... Right. Nothing suspicious. So, apparently, Roland and a neighbor... They reportedly had a long-standing boundary dispute, but investigators didn't think it really led to the murder, and the neighbor was also in Texas at the time, so he had a pretty good alibi. So they quickly were like, yeah, okay, there goes that theory. Mm -hmm. 
Another J. Vermont resident had come forward and stated that some people in the town were, quote, irked by Roland, who could be assertive and opinionated. Mm. Police didn't really want to rule anything out that early in the investigation, but they also didn't want to point to any one particular suspect. Right. And they also never speculated about what could have led to the crime. Right. So it's a lot of different moving pieces. Right. And I saw something, too, somewhere that said um, local residents didn't have such a positive light on Roland. They said that he could be abrasive, abrupt, and even pompous and rude at ski toes. Oh, shit. Yeah. And that there was a man named Mike Murphy who owned a local ski equipment business, and he claimed that Maram was always pretty and pleasant and very sociable, but Roland seemed to have a little friendliness with people. Hmm. Oh. But then on the outside, he's also like, if you don't know him well enough, it's like, oh, he's nice. He's a good guy. La, la, la. So there is that, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's interesting. This is true. And then a lot of things I read said that because he was German, he was from Germany, that's Mm -hmm. kind of how they appear outward sometimes to people. Could Um, be. Is not as friendly immediately. They Mm -hmm. can seem kind of cold and reserved until you get to know them and it's a game changer. Right. Whereas Maram being from Egypt, she would have more of an outgoing personality. Naturally. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that makes sense. And I'm not saying his abrasiveness is the reason he was murdered. It just gave them another... When you're searching for answers, you kind of grasp at straws for whatever you can do. So Mm -hmm. I think that's what was happening here, ultimately. There are definitely some interesting theories on top of that. I think yeah. the one that sticks out to me the most, and I don't think it's what happened, but it's very interesting. If you remember at the top of the description, I shared that Maram was employed in the 1972 Olympics that happened in Munich, Germany. So when she was there, there was a terrorist situation um, that some now speculate maybe have a connection to her 1984 death. I'm not so sure, but... Let me tell you about it. So during the Olympics, members of the Black September Palestinian terrorist group kidnapped nine of the Israeli athletes that were competing in the Olympics. The German police ended up making an attempt to rescue these Israeli athletes, but they were ultimately unsuccessful, unfortunately. So as a result, all of the athletes, all nine of them who were taken hostage were killed, as well as five of the terrorist group members. So... Yes, you know, that's awful that Israeli athletes were murdered, but now you have this terrorist group where five of them died. They're probably not happy with that. Maybe a little scornful looking for revenge. Because of the group of these terrorist members and because of Maram's Arab descent, paired with Roland's German heritage, some believe that this was like a retribution killing by that, um, by the Israeli secret police or the the other members of that terrorist group. There was a whole bunch of theories flying around, like, oh, it could be this retaliation. It could be because this, you know. And another thing was that it was theorized that maybe this was a foreign attack because the ammunition that was used in the murder weapon, um, it was called Yugoslav ammunition, was also used in Israeli-manufactured semi-automatic guns. So they were like, Done. Yeah, case closed. Nailed it. This <laughs> is a foreign it, yeah. this is foreign <laughs> land stuff. No. No. Incorrect. 
Yeah, no. So in 1996, there was a lead detective named Pete Johnson who um, he tried to reopen the case mm-hmm. and he wanted to narrow down like the particular weapon used. And he thought, you know what? Oh my God, there was this Israeli thing with the terrorists and the Palestine <laughs> and these, this ammunition was from Yugoslavia, whatever. Right. And so he was like, great, this is only used in Israeli manufactured guns. And then he found out the ammunition was actually super uh, common and sold all over the U.S. And it fit a wide variety of guns that weren't, weren't just the Israeli manufactured Uzi. So he, I like his energy. I like where he's going. <laughs> I like the enthusiasm. Yes, I think that's great. However... Oh, my God. What a letdown that must have been. I know. And that was 12 years after the murder. So he's mm-hmm. like, all right, let's do this. Let's get it over with. I got this. Let's get some answers to these people. Mm. Yeah, no, he couldn't do that. He couldn't do that. So, and I like his, again, I like his effort. I like where his head was at. But It's just so crazy, the conspiracies and yeah. the rumors and the, yeah. oh my God. Another theory that people had come up with was that because Roland owned a boat in Florida that he sometimes chartered for cruises, they had to be connected to drug trafficking. This just makes me so confused. Like, why would that automatically, like, just because you have a boat... In Floridian waters, like, automatically you are a drug trafficker? What, for Cuba? Because it's right there? Like, what's the... Wait, calm down. He's wealthy and he has a chalet in... Yeah. Jay Vermont, where he goes skiing. Skiing. Like crazy. He has a trout pond. Leave him alone. That he made himself. Yes, literally. It's crazy. And, you know, of course they had this theory, but there has never been any link to drug mm-hmm. involvement or illegal use of any drugs to either of them. No. So it's like, what? And also, there was a close friend of Roland's. His name was Fred Warner. He stated that Roland didn't do drugs. Surprise. And that he didn't even drink because he was a health fanatic and lived a clean life. And it was obvious that he lived a clean life. He also claimed to have been on the boat with the couple several times and that nothing illegal was going on. And he also said, I own a boat. I'm not a drug dealer. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't make, like, the conclusions you're jumping to. You're jumping to conclusions and you're probably missing things that are right under your nose. Yeah. It's kind of like with the James Tillman case. Yes. They pinpoint on an idea and they fixate it until it just completely falls apart. And I feel like they're doing that with all of these so far. Mm-hmm. Oh, she she was at the Munich Olympics. You know what? I bet the Israeli secret police hate her. Like, what? <laughs> Where are you yeah, getting this from? Like... Oh, she owned a boat? They they used it in Florida? Yeah, that's that's kind of close to Cuba. I bet you... Yeah, they definitely traffic drugs. They have to be drug traffickers. Like, what the fuck? Oh, there I did it again. Sorry. (laughs) So another little fun conspiracy Mm -hmm. to add to all of it. (laughs) Just five days before the handles were found, Loman Mays had committed an armed robbery at a bank in Londonderry, Vermont, and he had escaped from prison in Tennessee earlier in the year. He was considered to be a potential suspect for the murders, but there wasn't any clear evidence that connected him to the crime. That's crazy. He was caught in Wyoming in September of 1985 for the robbery and later pled guilty, and he was never charged with any crimes connected to the Hanel homicide. Oh, my God. That's crazy. He definitely was like, I feel like this guy, Loman Mays, he, uh, 
he probably wasn't too far off from doing something like that because he was actually in jail in Tennessee for serving a life sentence for murder. So it wasn't like he hadn't murdered or would be beyond his realm of possibilities. Right. So it was like, maybe. And then when he was arrested and, you know, robbed a bank in Vermont five days before this happened, well, the timeline kind of lines up kind of nicely. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, this one I could get behind, you know, it's not as crazy as them being drug traffickers, you know, it makes a little sense. So I don't know. He also was with two other inmates. They escaped as a, a trio. Fun fact. How crazy is that? You're escaping from Tennessee and you're going all the way to Vermont. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I wouldn't expect that. To True. give them credit, I'd be True. like, oh, he left Tennessee. Where would... Vermont. Definitely Vermont. And it's so close to Canada. It's Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Oh, a little uh, the... throwback there. Yeah. <laughs> Our friend Donald, Donald DeMag. <laughs> Episode 22, if you remember, guys. What is with these people running to Vermont or hanging out in Vermont and then hopping the border? Right, because it's near Canada. Right. And once you're in Canada, goodbye. Or you could pull a Donald DeMag and come back to the United States and then promptly get caught. It's amazing. (laughs) It really is incredible. Fortunately for Loman Mays, he did get caught again. Mm -hmm. And he was, of course, sent back to jail. And, you know, I think he looks okay for it. I wouldn't be surprised if it was him, but like we've said a million times already, he, nothing ever came of it. So again, unsolved. Right. Just two years after the murder, a psychological profile developed by the FBI suggested that the Hannels knew who their killer was. Mm. The profile said that the killer had most likely been to the chalet before and that the couple was targeted specifically. Hmm. It also stated that the killer was around the same age as Roland and Maram, around their same age group. Okay. And that there could have been an influence of drugs or alcohol at the time. Not necessarily with Roland or Maram, but with the killer. Yeah. They would have needed some extra help, some something to calm their nerves or right. give them the courage to go in and do this. Yeah. It was also identified that the person had attempted to, quote, mislead the police on their investigation. Oh. Which is kind of ironic because I think it worked. What ha- What did they do? They tried to throw the police off. Like, oh, it's not me. Oh, God. And if that is the case, it was effective because it did work. Because right. Because clearly the police don't know who this person is. Right, still. If the FBI psychological profile is correct. Right. Which it could be because usually they're not that far off. Right, right. And it's funny you say that because um, Karen, Roland's daughter from a different marriage, she said that... She thought that the killer knocked on the door while Maren was in the kitchen and the position of her body kind of led her to believe that because it seemed like she opened the door willingly. Yes. Now she's speculating, but she thinks, you know, what if it was someone that was a former friend of the couple or maybe, a, you know, for Maren, like a love interest or someone who was into her or maybe an affair. You know, she's just speculating, like, who could this person be? Was it someone they knew? It seemed like it was someone they knew because of just that they had opened the door or, you know, it seemed like they maybe Mm -hmm. had opened the door. So, but again, we don't know. It's awful. And now this poor Karen, she hasn't, her dad's gone and her stepmom and it's just, she's, it's such a brutal murder. Mm -hmm. It's just awful. Eight to 11 times. Each. Each. 
That's such overkill. It's just so crazy. Mm -hmm. So as we discussed, this case is still cold to this day. If anyone happens to have any information about the murder of Roland and Mero Hannell, please contact the Vermont State Police Major Crime Unit at 802-244-8781. Tips can also be submitted anonymously at vsp.vermont.gov slash submit, or you can also text VTIPS, all caps, to 274637. Nice. All right. I love when we're able to give contact information like mm-hmm. that because I think that's so important because literally anyone could know something mm-hmm. anyone so if any of you are from J Vermont or have loved ones that were in the J Vermont area in 1984 tell someone anything you know it's crazy because a lot of these cases are solved and it's because of super tiny tiny information so yes. maybe that's just what is happening here yeah you know definitely and that information will be on our website too you guys so you don't yes. have to listen over and over for a phone number yes don't worry we've just given it to you expecting that you have a pen and paper ready to go <laughs> as you do with all of our episodes right no <laughs> that was a pretty quick one yeah it was but you know what it's these smaller cases that will say it until the end this is what we do it for we want people to know that this happened and that these people died and they there's no answers for them. So for whatever the theory, whatever the reason, hopefully we can anyone can find justice for them. 100%. Yeah. So you guys should tell us what you think happened. Again, I think they're all kind of pretty crazy theories, except for the escaped inmate from Tennessee, Loman Mays. That one seems more realistic. So you can tell us on our social media at True Crime Any, which is on Instagram or Twitter. And that's all lowercase. Or you can email us at truecrimeny at gmail.com. Or you can find us on our website at truecrimeny.com. We have a submission tool where you can send us in cases, comments, questions, concerns. You can be anonymous if you want to. No pressure to put your name. Mm-hmm. But we would love to chat with you and hear from you either way. Yeah. So, also, before we go, if you guys could just give us a little rate and a review on Spotify. You can rate on Spotify now. Yeah, that's a fun little update they did. Yeah, so please go for it. And give us a rate and a review on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it. We just want to get the word out there and get people justice. That's all we want to do. Mm -hmm. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye.